0: good morning everyone i just want to let the parents be informed that there are some packs up in front here for your kids so uh, if they are going to want to do something during the service please come and grab some packs grab a few crayons not all the crayons That will be helpful. Also to let you know that the live feed room is up and going. If your kid is going to be a little hectic and restless, there is an opportunity for you to listen to the sermon there. And on top of that, there is also the creche that will be open too. So you're more than welcome to go and enjoy some time there with your children, if you would prefer that as well. So come ahead and do that. And while the kids are coming forward and grabbing that, I just want to give you some announcements that weren't mentioned this morning. Just want to remind you that our service times next week are uh, the same times they are going to be nine and the six there's just still the two services for the six o'clock people just earn in, uh, some information for you there and the office will be officially open on Tuesday so you can get hold of us via the normal uh, channels on, uh, from this Tuesday onwards so please utilize that we would love to serve you as uh, best as we can this coming week I can't believe it is already 2023, right? Um, It feels like I've skipped a year somewhere. There's been been something that's gone wrong in the matrix, and I've just missed a whole year, and I've arrived in 2023. Uh, But I also can't believe that we are at the end of our I Am Statement series. For those of you who have been uh, visiting us this morning, uh, we have for the last six weeks, and we're on our seventh week now, looked at the I Am Statements found in the Gospel of John. We've seen six of them, and we're going to look at the seventh. And the seventh one is found in John chapter 15, uh, verses 1 to 11. So if your Bible's with you, please open them up. John chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. And if you didn't bring your Bibles, I would encourage you to do so this year. Follow along in your own Bible. Uh, But we'll have it on the screen behind me. I see Mark uh, edited my really bad slides and made them look lovely, so you can thank him um, after, after the service. John chapter 15 verses 1 to 11 It goes as follows. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version. It says, yeah, Jesus speaking to his disciples. I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have sustained us this past year, and you've brought us into a new year. And as we stand at the start of a new year, Lord, we want to hear from you. Would you speak to us this morning? Would you take my simple explanation of this passage and apply it to people's hearts, I pray. Will you take your words and may it guide us and direct us. May we see the wonders of Jesus. May we have a desire in our hearts to love him and know him all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. There's some imagery that is used in uh, this text by Jesus that we might not necessarily be familiar with, but as he uses it to his disciples, there would have been something that would have struck them, and that was the image of, I am the true vine. This imagery of vine is not something that Jesus has made up for the very first time, but actually... When we look throughout the Old Testament, this idea of a vine is used quite a lot. And so, when you are reading the Old Testament this year and you come across someone or something being called a vine, it is more likely, more often than not, that, Jesus, uh, the, that the person, the, the prophet, or the person who's speaking in the Old Testament is referring to Israel or the people of God. But when it is used, it is hardly ever, if ever, used positively. It is always used negatively. So when it's spoken, it is followed by a pronouncement of judgment upon the people of Israel. So an example of this will be in Jeremiah 2 verse 21. It says this, Yet I have planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seeds. So far, so good. goes on to say though, How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? How have you become like this? You started off so well, but how have you ended up being like you currently are? Or in Isaiah 5 verse 2, it says, And he looked for it uh, to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. The fruit that you were meant to bear, you have not been able to do it. But you have a bore, fruit of unrighteousness. That's what he's saying. And so from this bad fruit that the people of Israel would bear, the wrath of God would be upon them as a result because they weren't able to do the things that they were meant to do. They were going to face punishment because of their bad vine, the bad fruit that they bared. And now that is important for us because what Jesus does when he says, I am the vine, I am the true vine, what he is doing is he's turning that on his head. He's saying, I am going to do what you have not been able to do. I am going to bear the fruit that you have not been able to bear. I will produce uh, fruits of righteousness when you have not been able to do so. In short, what Jesus is doing here is a gospel declaration. He is stepping into the people of God's failure and saying, you haven't been able to do it, but I will be able to do it for you. Your fruit that you have uh, bore is fruit of unrighteousness, but the fruit that I bear is fruit of righteousness. Your fruit results in the wrath of God. My fruit allows me to bear that wrath. Your fruit has led to death, but my fruit, if you would eat of it, take of it, partake of me, leads to that of life. If you would be connected to me as the vine, you will find the life that you have not been able to achieve. Does that make sense? Now, it's important for me to stress this morning that what Jesus is not saying is that you have to earn this eternal life. That's the whole point of this imagery, that anything you have been able to do has not been able to bear the fruit that is acquired. It's only has been able to bear bad fruit, unrighteous fruit that deserves the wrath of God. This is not about your actions, but about being connected to Jesus that you get the life that we so desperately need. It's by being connected to, to the vine. And that happens through faith in Jesus alone. So we see that in Romans 5 verse 1, it says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we place our faith in Jesus, what happens is we then are saved. We are justified, made as if we had never sinned. And that, 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 that sudden position that we were in where the wrath of God was going to be poured on, out upon us is no longer the case. But now we have peace with God. It's through faith in Jesus, not through our actions. And actually, we see that in our text this morning. We see it in our text this morning. It's not quite clear, but in John 15, verse 3, it's there. It says this already you are clean because of the words that I have spoken to you. He says, already you are clean. you clean by the words that I've spoken to you. What words? Well, through the series, we've been able to look at a number of them. In, in, we saw in John 6 where it starts off where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. They have believed that Jesus is the only one that can satisfy them, that Christ is the only one who gives them life, that all worldly things fail to give life. And so they have believed in that. They have believed his words when he has said to them that I am the light of the world and whoever will follow me will not uh, walk in darkness, but will walk in the light of life. And so they have believed that Jesus is the only hope that he is the only light in a dark world. They have believed that he is the door, that he is the only way to the Father. It's through him alone that they can get into the sheepfold of God. They have believed that he is the good shepherd and that the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. They have believed that in him, he has come to give them life and the abundancy of life. They have believed that he is the resurrection and the life, That not, not only meaning through him that he, they will rise again one day, but now they get to have life. There's a resurrection power that dwells with them, and they are no longer dead, but they are alive. They have believed that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That is only through Jesus that he can get to the Father. He is the embodiment of truth. He is the only one who gives us life, and tonight they hear that he is the vine that life is only found when we are connected to Him. And that is vital for us because we've got to realize here yeah, that life can only be found in Jesus, friends. And it's through faith, not through your efforts. And I also want to point out to you this morning that there's an exclusivity to what Christ is saying. Throughout all these I am statements that we have looked at, Jesus is saying, life is found in me and me alone. Nowhere else can you go. There is no other vine that you can attach yourself to that can give your life. And that is important for us because it helps us to realize that Jesus is not just a good teacher. These statements are not a statement from someone who can only be a good teacher. Friends, a person who says that they are the only way to life, that they are the resurrection, that in, in them is the satisfaction of life, but yet aren't God, are not good people. They are mad. They have lost it. He, he, he's either mad or he is who he says he is. And so that's important for us that we don't sit on the fence this morning assuming that Christ is just good but he isn't really God and so therefore I can glean some moral teaching from him no friends Jesus is either crazy or he is God and you need to choose and Jesus says i am the one that you can find life and in life alone now we could go on and on about that this morning but what Jesus does say to us in this text is those of us who have a union with him by faith that we have believed in him we are connected to this vine that what happens is that life is found in him and him alone, that we can bear the fruit that we need through Jesus. And the call for the branches who are connected to him, the call is that we abide in him, that we are to abide in him. We see this in verse 4. It says, abide in me and I in you. This is really the primary thing that Jesus is trying to get across to his disciples. Ten times in the 11 verses that we have read this morning, Jesus says, abide in me. Now we should take notice of that abide, 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 abide in me. But you might just say, hang on, Joe, didn't you just say that we have union with Christ when we have faith? Now, why is it that we are being called to abide in Him? Now, I know it might seem semantics and a play on words, but I want to argue this morning that there is a difference between our union with Him and our abiding with Him. There is a difference between those two things. I think a great illustration of that is marriage. So there's a marriage ceremony that takes place. It's a beautiful day. It's wonderful. It's all those things that marriage can be. And there's a signing of a register that happens after that. There is, as we see in in, in, in Genesis 2, verse 23 and 24, as the uh, the marriage is consummated. There's a one fleshness that takes place. There's a union that happens in that. But a union doesn't guarantee communion, does it? That just because some paperwork has been signed and there's a one fleshness doesn't mean that there's this communion that happens between a husband and wife. A husband and a wife still need to prioritize praying together, talking to one another, sharing dreams, goals, ambitions, fears, uh, disappointments, failures with one another, serving one another, sacrificing for one another because if they don't, there is going to lead to a really dryness in their relationship or really will lead to war. Joy will disappear Union doesn't guarantee communion. Union is the the foundation on which the communion is built, but there are two different things. And I want to say the same is with Jesus, that you can have a union with Him that is safe and secure. Secured by the blood of Christ, you are held in this wonderful union that is permanent, but what Christ ultimately wants for you is not just a union that saves you from hell, but what He wants is a relationship with you. And so the call is to these disciples and and to us is to come and and abide in him regularly, to enjoy him, to share our hopes and our our dreams with him, our failures with him, and our disappointments, our anxieties, to serve him, to love him. That's what Jesus is calling the Christian to come and do. J.C. Rowe probably explains it far better than I can. And he says this is what abiding means. He says to abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of... a a habit of constant close communication with Him, to always be leaning on Him, resting on Him, pouring out our hearts to Him, and using Him as a fountain of life and strength, as our chief companion and best friend. The whole point of the union that you have, whole point of your salvation, is so that you might commune and enjoy the Son of God. The point of Jesus saving you, my friends, was not so that you might just be saved from hell, but that you might enjoy a deep relationship with Jesus. John Piper puts it better than I can. He says, God's ultimate aim is not that through Christ we might have salvation, but through salvation we might have Christ. Through salvation you might have him, enjoy him. Taste of him and the call of Jesus to you this morning is to come and delight and enjoy him, abide in him. So, what are some of the evidences in our lives that help us to know whether we abide in him or not? Well, there's two that I want to talk about this morning, and the first one seems to be pretty obvious in the text, and that is that we bear fruits. We see this in verses four and five. It says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So he says one of the evidences that you are communion with me, having a deep relationship with me, is that you start to bear fruit. So what is this fruit? Well, we've got to be careful here that we're not too specific. The danger is we can be too specific on things, and I think that might look different for some people, but there are some general principles that apply for every Christian. The first section in that is that we bear the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are evident within our lives. And look at Galatians 5 verses 22 and 23. It unpacks what these characteristics are. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, and, and notice there that in the text it says fruit, not fruits. Fruit, it's, pl- uh, it's not plural, it's singular. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Again, such things there is no law. And, and this is important for us to realize that this is one fruit and not multiple different fruits. Because I think we can fool ourselves into thinking, I've got one, but I don't necessarily have the other. And this is, seems to be that these are all interlinked with one, one another. Sure, we have some strengths and some weaknesses, but we, we, all of these are being developed in us by the power of the Spirit because it's hard to say, I lack patience, but yes, I'm kind. It's unlikely, hey? You can't say, I, if you're not really kind, you probably aren't very good goodness is probably not high upon the things. If you don't love, you probably lack joy, and if you have no joy, you probably lack peace. And so there is this necessity that these characteristics, these nine attributes by the power of the Spirit as we connect ourselves to Christ are starting to be evident within our lives. And and I realize that we don't have these perfectly. Man, Can I get an amen to that? We don't have that perfectly done like today. No one was, as I was reading Galatians 5, and I started reading the fruits of the Spirit. Got, I've got that. I've got that one. I've got them all. Now you can just get up and leave, right? No, none of us can say that we have these. But what we can say as Christians is I am no longer what I was, but I'm no longer quite who I want to be yet. There's this progress that takes place as, these, as we connect to Christ. These fruit, the fruit of the Spirit starts to become more and more evident within our lives. But it seems to be that it is more than just characteristics within us, but it also leads to action. Jesus says, whoever abides in me bears fruit. For apart from me, you can't do anything. There is action. These these characteristics of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control aren't just fruits that stay within us, like a hypothetical theory that we say we have, but they are demonstrated through action. It is through loving acts that this fruit is shown and, and seen, it's through uh, the joy that is evident within our hearts, it's the peace, it's the kindness, it's the goodness, these things are actions that are demonstrated. So it seems to be, while it might be a character, it is also things we do, and primarily, as we, we didn't read this morning, but in verse 12 of John 15, it says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So it's characteristics that are demonstrated to loving other people. It's seen in that way, but as I have mentioned, these are things that we certainly haven't quite got right yet, and uh, we need to grow in them. And that is that is brings us to our second evidence that we are abiding in Christ, and that is we are being pruned. We are being pruned. Jesus says in verse two that he is the Father is the vine dresser, and he cuts away all the bad things that we might bear more fruits. Now. I Now, that is probably not what you want to hear at the start of a new year, that we get pruned so that the the bad things might be taken away and we might bear more fruits. If if I have to give my two cents worth, I wish he said, you know, you're bearing more fruits, I bless you so you can bear more fruits. I wish he left out the pruning part of it all, but what we actually see is that we are blessed when we are pruned. We might not have a category for that. But there is a blessedness that comes with this pruning. The language here is quite clear that the, the vine, the vine dresser comes and he cuts away all that is bad so that there might be more fruit within us. And the and it's it's quite obvious that this is really trial. It's through trial and, and painful seasons that we have the cleaning of all the bad things within us so that we might be able to bear more fruit. JC Rao again puts it better than I can. He says. By trial, he weans them from the world, draws them to Christ, drives them to the Bible and prayer, shows them, that our, uh, shows them our own hearts and makes them humble. This is the process by which he purges them and makes them humble. It's by trial. It's, and, it's, and it's tough. It's difficult. It's, are, and I'm sure every single one of us could probably look back on certain seasons and go, that was tough, but I've seen... God, through those things, do good things within me. When my wife was pregnant, I was unemployed for six months, one of the tougher seasons of my life. But through that, so many good things have come. And so while it was a trial and it was difficult, God shaped my love for him in a way that had never happened be, before then. It was, it was hard, but through the pruning came a great fruit from it. Now, hear me here. I'm not asking the Lord to make me unemployed for six months this year. I don't want to go through that again, but through it, God in His grace allowed good fruit to come, and it's through His love for us this happens. Hebrews 12, 7 to 11. It's quite long, but it really captures the heart of this, explains this beautifully. It says this, It is for for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Hear that. He is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are not left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So it's clearly showing that discipline from God shows that we actually are his sons. Not that he has cast us off as sons and daughters, but rather that we are his sons and daughters through discipline. He says, "Besides this, we have earthly fathers who discipline us, and we reject, uh, we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed the best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness." For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Amen. But later it heals peaceful fruits of righteousness for those who are being trained. And so there seems that the pruning is because God loves us so that He might help us to bear proper fruit of righteousness. Not something that we want to speak at the start of a year, but it's something that's important for us to understand. And there are two things from this text that I find vital around pruning. And the first one is this, and this isn't so important for us, is that we understand that the Father's primary purpose is by pruning us is to push us to Jesus. Here he says it says in the text that he prunes us so that we might bear more fruit. But how do we bear fruit, church? By abiding in Christ. You cannot bear fruit if you do not abide in Jesus. So when the Father prunes us, He is trying to push us more to Jesus so that we can grab onto Him more and therefore, as a result, bear more fruit. And that is important for us as the second thing, that you will not bear fruit just through pruning. You will not. You will only bear fruit through abiding in Jesus. And that is important because in the year 2023, I'm going to guarantee you now, that we are going to go through some pruning. We are going to be pruned. The pruning itself does not bear the fruits. Having the tough times does not bear its fruit. It's when you run to Jesus that the fruit comes through. And that that is important because what it does for us as humans, so often when we go through difficult moments, what we do is we run to anything other than Christ when we are being pruned and things are hard, our temptation is I want to get rid of the suffering and so I run to substances and run to the bottle and hoping that that would make me numb. That when I go through pain and suffering, I I hope that I could maybe satisfy myself with lusts and pleasures of this world rather than running to Christ who truly satisfies me. That when I go through difficulties and and, and anxieties and I'm stressed and I'm overburdened by things, I try to escape through social media and cell phones and series rather than running to the God who gives me rest and refuge. We run to things rather than to Jesus when we are being pruned. But I want to warn you, if you do that, you will not bear the fruit that is required. You will not bear the fruit that is the goal of it all. You have to run to Jesus. It's by clinging and holding on to him that the fruit that you have ultimately is produced. So as 2023 comes with its highs and its lows, and the season, there'll be seasons of producing fruits and there'll be seasons of being pruned. When you are pruned, run to Jesus, run to him. But Jesus gives us some motivations on how we can abide in him. motivations on why we should abide in him. And the first one is this, that we'll pray more powerfully. We'll pray more powerfully. Look at verse 7, it says this, If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So first, what it seems in this text is what Jesus is saying, is that when we abide in him, his words abide in me. This is important for us to realize that to abide in Christ means that we have to have His Word dwelling within me. Now, friends, that doesn't happen through osmosis. That doesn't just happen to you. You have to spend time in His Word. You have to dwell on it. You have to meditate upon it. You have to memorize it. You have to keep His precepts and His statutes in front of your mind so that it might be able to govern your life through it. His Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. But it cannot be that if we do not know it. So it seems that if to, in order to abide in Christ, we have to spend time in His Word so that it might dwell within me. You cannot abide in Christ if you're not spending time in His Word. Part of that close communication comes through hearing from what He has to say to you through the words. Now, I love that it's the first day of the year and the Lord's Day, because such, we love new starts on the 1st of January. Please make the Bible reading part of it. Read your Bible this year. Some of you have last year tried to do the reading plan and, and was really tough. And you started out and you gave up and you quit. May I encourage you to pick it up and do it again this year? Not so that you might complete it every single day of the year, but that you might just be better than you were last year. Read it more than you did last year. And take that in be encouraged by that. You miss a few days, please. This is the rookie error that I, I had learned through many, many plans, is that if I miss three days on the plan that I am in, that means the next, day, the next time I pick it up, I have to read 16 chapters. becomes just way too much, and so I get overburdened and I quit. Please forget the 12 that you missed and pick up the four that you need to pick up. Just read. It's not about being perfect. It's about spending more time with Jesus and abiding in Him. Read your Bible more this year. Read your Bible, the Word of God, more than you're reading your devotions. This is where life is found, not in somebody else's explanation. It's found in here. Let His Word abide within you, please. This is where it is. And what happens when we have the Word abide in us, it says, therefore what we do is we pray more effectively. So the second thing that I see there is in order for us to abide in Jesus, we need to pray that you become a person who prays more. Now I know, again, like I said last week, those are some real Sunday school things. But it's the foundation of our communion with Him. Pray more. Are you praying? Did you pray a lot last year? Try pray more this year. You can't pray too much. What I see throughout church history is I see great men and women come to the end of their lives and they say, I have one regret. It's not that they didn't do more. No, I didn't spend enough time with Jesus. Friends, you can't spend enough time with Him. Pray more. And when we have His Word within us, what happens is we pray more according to His will and not our own. We pray the way God wants us to pray. We pray about the things that He cares about, and it says, therefore, there is power in that, and they will be answered. Because we're not praying what Joe wants to pray and about his goals and dreams, but rather about God's. And God answers those things. We see this in James uh, 5, verses 16, it says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This was uh, embodied by a man called John Knox, who was a thorn in the side of the the Queen of Scots, Mary the Queen of Scots, who she said famously about him, I fear his prayers more than an army of 20,000 men, because when he prayed, something happens. How much more effectively our prayers would be if we would spend time in God's word and praying according to it. This is the motivation by Jesus. The second one is this that we glorify God. Verse 8 says, But, his, but this, uh, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So there's two things there there's, there's an element of uh, proving that we are his disciples, there's an assurance of salvation that comes. I really nearly went down this rabbit hole to delete a whole page worth of stuff to, because I was going to go and speak about this. But there's this wonderful truth that we can be assured in Christ that we are, we are saved. It's a beautiful thing that happens when we stay about Him. When you start disappearing from the Father and from the Son, and you're not living with Him, you start to question your own salvation. But when you are close, you have this assurity that you are saved, that He keeps you secure. That no one is able to snatch you from his hands. That he who started a good work in you will bring it to the day of completion. I'm getting sidetracked here, but you get the point. It's a beautiful thing. But also what it does is that it helps us to live a life of purpose. 2023, do you not want to live a life of purpose? A life that is meaningful? Friends, you can only do it if you abide in Jesus. Jesus says in John 15 verse 5, Apart from me you can do nothing. Now what Jesus is not saying is that you can't do anything. Christians do, non-Christians do stuff, right? They do. They do many things. They accomplish great goals. But what he is saying is that in me, you do something of purpose, of something that lasts. It's only the things that are started with Christ, sustained by Christ, and finished for Christ's glory that will ultimately last. It's those things that will do it. And Jesus saying, when you abide in me, you will accomplish things for your life that maybe the world does not look and, and applaud you for. But I, as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who will judge the living and the dead, will applaud and say, well done. There is purpose that is found in doing what God wants you to do. And so when you abide in him and you bear fruit for his glory, those are the things that echo into eternity. Not how great your business is. promise you two generations' time, no one's going to remember your name. Can anyone here really tell me? I, I might be able to, but my great-great-grandfather's name, I might have. But the one after that, I haven't a clue. Don't know what he did. No one's going to remember. The things that last are the things for glory of Christ. Stop living for the, the, the approval of men because when you die, you will be forgotten. The most tragic, tragic things about funerals, if you've, if you've had to bury a loved one, is that when you are burying your loved one, it seems like the world just carries on, doesn't it? And you can't, you're like, why have they just been able to? Because the world just carries on. People die all the time. And what happens is you start to carry on. And you start to live. Friends, we do not live for the applaud of men, but we live for the plaud of God. He's the approval of God. The approval of God. And he says, if you do and you abide in me, that's where life is found. That's where purpose is found. And lastly, it's the most glorious, glorious one. We get to abide in his love. Let's read verses nine and 10. It says this, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. This is the most remarkable verse. It blows my mind every time I read it. Jesus says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you, abide in my love. As the, far, as the triune God loves one another perfectly, so that same quality of love is distributed to me. There is no reserved aspect of God's love where you as a Christian cannot go and have. The, the fullness of the love that the Father has for Jesus, that full perfect love flows through Christ to you. It's remarkable. Uh, It's a a mind-blowing that God would look upon you and give you all of it. He doesn't just give you some great love. He gives you all of his love. Unreserved. And Jesus says, come and abide in it. Enjoy it. Taste of it. How foolish it will be when we stand before God one day and said, Lord, I didn't really abide in all that you have for me in all your love, but I really enjoyed that sin. It will seem so Foolish that we didn't partake in what God has for us in the fullness of love. And the call of Christ is that this this fullness of love that I have for you isn't something that you will only experience in eternity, but you can experience it now. Come and abide in me now. I am the vine now. You are the branch now. Enjoy this love now. But it does seem to be caveated for us in that it says, if you keep my commandments, if you keep my commandments. Now, what Jesus isn't saying is that you earn his love through keeping his commandments. But Jesus is saying there are rules and there are structures like there is in everything life. I watched football last night. There are rules to the game. They don't if you don't follow the rules, game doesn't work properly, right? And the same is with life. God has given us rules and structures and we have to play by these rules to experience the fullness of his love because actually his commands are his goodness to us if we want to experience all the goodness that God has for us, we have to live by the way he wants us because he knows how life should be lived. He created it. And so when he says, by these rules, you will experience in me life. But it also, it helps us to realize that we can't say, Lord, I want all your love, but also I want all the sin. We can't serve two masters. You can only serve one or the other. And Jesus says it's by obeying the rules. I know. He says he goes on to say, "I." He goes he explains as I have kept the Father's commandments and abiding His love. He says, "I've done it. I know this way. His love is found is through doing what He's. He sets us an example. So by abiding in what He has for us, because we cannot serve two masters. But having said that, He's not requiring perfection. He's not." He's not saying if you are not perfect, then you can. If you if you aren't perfect, then you can never experience my love. No, that's what he's not saying. He knows that we aren't perfect. Hence the fact he's talking about us being pruned for more fruits. He gets that, but what it does mean is as we strive to to be in his presence and to enjoy him and to enjoy his love, the inevitable moment will come, Christian, where you will take your eye off Jesus and fix it on sin. When you realize that, turn back to the loving God. Go to him, ask for forgiveness, and he will engulf you with his love again, and you get to enjoy him, and you get to live for him, live by his glory. we, We plead to the great mercy of our God for us, and we get to, because of who we are in Christ, get to enjoy his love. And why has Jesus told us this? Verse 11 says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. He's not doing this because he wants to be a party pooper. He's not doing this because he wants to just make life difficult and tough. But he knows that in this way, by abiding in him, living for him, that you would find a fullness of joy. That his joy may be in you as you abide in Jesus. So his joy abides in you. And notice that he doesn't say that my joy may be in you during the good times. Know that my joy may be in you, even in the pruning, even in the seasons that are hard, even when things are tough. The fullness of joy, the lasting joy that God promises for us is not dependent on circumstances, but dependent on who we are in. If we're in Jesus, then we get this joy. If we're not in Jesus, then we lose out on the joy that He has planned for us. A fullness of joy, that your joy may be full. Do you want 2023 to be a year of joy. It's not going to be dependent on how well your business does. Or how great your kids are, though they're great. How well they do at school. Your joy is going to be dependent on who you are connected to. Connected in Jesus. And when those things happen, the hard things take place, your joy will remain because Jesus always remains with you. Let us pray. As you bow your heads, how are you going to abide in Christ more this year? Is it to read the word more? Is it to pray more? Is it to be obedient more? Is it to respond in turn the pruning to run to Christ more often than you have? What are you going to do? Settle that in your hearts. determine to do it. Lord, we thank you that you promise to be our life. That if we in our, through faith, would come and abide in you, we would experience the fullness of life that you have to offer. And I pray, Lord, for us as a church that this year would be a year characterized by us as a church running to cling to Jesus. That we would abide in you, that we would enjoy you, and that through it we would bear much fruit. Lord, inevitably it seems that there will be seasons of pruning that will come. It will be tough, it will be painful, but I pray for us as a church that we would not run to things, but we would run to the God of glory, that we would run to the true vine who would give us life. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that are encapsulated by your word, that it would be something that we meditate upon, would ride upon our hearts, that we would spend time in, and that the year 2023 would be a year of improvement in reading your words. I pray that we'd be a people who pray more, not just talk about prayer, not just pray around our tables at, at dinner times and breakfast times, but rather throughout the day, fixing our eyes on you, and that, that we would be people who pray according to your will, and we would see many prayers answered for the glory of, the, of Christ we ask. May we be a people who are more obedient, living for your glory, laying aside sin, laying aside the things that keep us from enjoying and abiding in your love. And may we who taste it never go back to anything of a lesser quality than your love. And may our joy be full. May our joy be full, not only in theory, but in our hearts. May, we, may the, the fruit of the spirit of joy be evident May we be a happy people, not a people who mumble and grumble, but a people who are joyful in Christ regardless of circumstances. We ask this in your glorious name. Lord, we can't do this by ourselves. And so as we pray, we cling to you. We hold on to you and say, help, 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 help. By the power of your spirit, help. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a happy new year, everyone. There's some coffee outside. Enjoy some fellowship chat to someone new. Have a good year.